Welcome to the VITV podcast. My name is Beko, and we have a special guest today, Sonal Shah. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thank you, Beko, for inviting me, and hello, VITV users, uh, viewers. It's great to be back. We've spent an hour trying to <laughs> assemble my cell phone and PC, so it might be a little disjointed, but we'll get back on stream as we go along. Nice to be here. Yeah, and thank you for putting on this beautiful floral shirt. <laughs> just for you, Echo. Just for you. Just for me. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> By the way, if you if you haven't listened to the previous episode where we talked about Ebex, go ahead and check that out. Um, and we talk about sort of um, you know Ebex and our thesis on Ebex, which is another topic that we can get into at another podcast. Uh, subsequently, there was a huge pr sort of price drop, um, so we'll talk about that sometime in the future. But today, we are going to talk about Micron. Micron, your huge, huge holding, and we wrote, you wrote about it on, on Seeking Alpha. I did a podcast on it maybe a couple of years ago at this point, but certainly an interesting company, uh, so we'd love to dive into it more today. Um, Sunil, so before we begin the podcast, could you give a quick introduction to yourself for people who haven't listened to Ebix episode about who you are, where you, you, know, where you live, basic stuff? Sure, sure. So I'm a man with a very lovely floral shirt, <laughs> evidently. Um, I live in Cape Town, South Africa. I um, trained as a chartered accountant and did my undergrad in London at the London School of Economics. Um, I became a CFA, although the English called it a, a associate of the Institute of Invest Investment Management Research. Um, like any self-respecting African, I thought London weather was not to be um, frequented, so I moved to Cape Town. This was meant to be a five-day work visit, which has ended up being 22 years. So I love Cape Town. I trained as a, I joined a company called Coronation, which is one of the most successful brands in South Africa. I was their mid-cap, small-cap um, analyst, fund manager. I was a strategist for a while. Um, and I decided I wanted to um, invest without constraints. And I guess I had um, established enough of a kind of nest egg, although it would be considered scary for anyone rational to invest on the nest egg I, I retired on. Uh, but it's worked out very well in the sense that I've invested for the last 10-ish years on, on my own portfolio and, and, and had a pretty decent return. I love Seeking Alpha, where I write, because it's a wonderful um, format to um, establish a narrative, put it out there, and get the criticism that you would seek in a company, but you don't have access to as an individual. So Seeking Alpha, for me, is a great platform with an incredible diverse range of commentators, experienced investors, where you can debate the ideas. and. One of the most interesting stocks I've come across in a while is Micron, and we'll obviously discuss why. But um, disclosure, it's my largest holding. It's recklessly a large part of my portfolio, but I am amazingly um, optimistic about its future, even though it's more than doubled in, in, as, a, as, a, as an investment that I hold. Awesome. Um, but let's yeah. pause there. Let's pause there for a second uh, before we dive into Micron. Uh, for a listener, just to give you guys uh, some baseline numbers. 
So right now, it's, it's kind of sort of a funny day to talk about Micron because today at the opening, uh, Micron dropped about 5%, uh, apparently uh, with no news. Potentially there's some, some, uh, some lurking threats from mother nature in Taiwan, uh, earthquake or what have you that, that might sort of disrupt the supply chain, I'm not sure. But regardless, Micron is trading today at $85 uh right now um and we are recording this podcast on april 22nd um all right so given that i just want to give you guys some colors on how big the company is what you know what what are we talking about what sort of magnitude are we talking about here uh so here are some numbers all right so it is fourth largest semiconductor by revenue uh, last year they recorded uh 21 billion dollars in revenue uh, market cap right now stands at around 95 billion Net income um, out of the 21 billion was about 2.7 billion. Number of employees 27 or 37,000 employees, uh, headquartered in Idaho. Um, they have four, uh, 13 manufacturing sites, and they're the third, third, third. Uh, they're the company with um, uh, 13,000 patents. 13,000 patents, which is the third highest. Um, com- company with the most patents. They operate out of 18 countries. So we're talking about pretty sizable companies, uh, company here and their portfolio products. It's DRAM, NAN, and we'll talk about some of those in detail uh, in a bit. So having said all that, Sonal, I want, I want, so you, you write quite eloquently in your Seeking Alpha article about, uh, about the, the sort of, what did you call it? You called it two decades of feast to famine. Interesting title. Uh, as a writer yourself, I that's, this is really really nice. Uh, two decades of feast to famine. So talk us through history of semiconductor industry from 1997 to 2017, and then let's talk about 2018. What happened in 2018? A little bit after that, but okay. first take us through that that history that you talk about okay. in your article. Let's start with the kind of three decades of rapid innovation from 1997 to 2017. That's two decades, actually. That was an era of of massive yearly improvements in technology of the production of semiconductor chips. Every year, you'd have quantum leaps in the type of memory at the, the aerial density on how much data you could store on a nanometer of silicon, um, the cost of manufacturing that memory chip, and you had 30 or 40 players all vying to survive the digital gunfight. There were huge harvests to be reaped for whoever survived. But if a company could not keep up with the pace of innovation, um, in a quarter, the company's product would become obsolete because a competitor that had kept up with the digital beat would have produced a a product that was twice as good at maybe three quarters of the price. So there was this massive race to keep up with the technology and obviously the capital commitments to modernize your equipment and modernize your your, uh, production process to keep pace with the quantum jumps in the, the, the physics of making a chip. Throughout, so during that time, there were tons of players and, and that gradually went bankrupt because if you couldn't get your product out in a specific quarter, 
in the following quarter, you had to basically give it away at got, you know, uh, uh, bargain basement prices because there was a newer product at half the cost on the market. As a result, there was a massive consolidation in the industry. So if you go back to, say, 2000, there were 20 DRAM players all vying to keep a tiny share of the market. In NAND, there were about 45 players because NAND was less capital intensive. But as we progressed down the kind of learning curve of um, quantum physics, sorry, not quantum physics, material physics, the pace of innovation started to moderate. At the moment, the, 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 the current players think the rate of innovation is 4 or 5% per annum in terms of the density of data you can put on a square nanometer of wafer or the cost of improvement, the cost improvements that where you get more of a yield from a, 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 a meter of silicon. So we went through this rapid consolidation of um, um, suppliers in the industry and many were gobbled up, many were um, um, taken over at dirt cheap prices. Um, so was, and at the moment we are left with just three players in DRAM which represent 97% of the industry supply. And in NAND, 95% of the industry supply is um, dominated by five suppliers. So the cor cor corollary of the rate of innovation is a longer shelf life. The, the slower the rate of innovation, the longer the shelf life of your existing product, because the if your product isn't sold this quarter, the risk of it being um, trash next quarter is massively reduced. So the shelf life of inventory became that much longer. So we, it has led to a, mature, a far more mature industry without the boom to bust or feast to famine um, cycles that characterized the past. Mm -hmm. Is that a I, I don't know what else we can focus on, but the, you know, it's I'm basically summarizing two decades in five minutes. Okay, yeah, I think that I think that was a great summary. So just to recap for a second for our audience, and so this is sort of like classical kind of thing that happens in the technology industry where you know you have sort of this burgeoning industry, semiconductor industry, and everyone is jumping on, um, and there's you know huge capital commitments to make you know, factories, fabrication labs, and being able to kind of, you know, really push the boundaries of semiconductor every single year. And it's this classic sort of S-curve where initially there's a lot of room to grow. It's, you know, when you walk into an orchard of low-hanging fruits, it's easy to, to, it's easy to kind of make those incremental gains year after year, quarter after quarter. But then at some point, you hit the yeah. limit. You're hitting the limit of what you can do exactly. in a given amount of time. So you're, so, yeah. you're slowly sort of riding out that tail end of that S-curve. And what you're seeing is consolidation yeah. of companies, as you mentioned, uh, only five players. Five players really dominate the NAND, 94, 95%. And then DRAM, only three players. So it's really have become oligopoly, to your point. And as it relates to that yeah. kind of the inventory yeah. shelf life um, association with that. Has lengthened. Yeah, so the, yeah. The, the, the cycle at which new products that are introduced to the market has lengthened because we're sort of at the edge of that S-curve. Yeah, it's called, the, in, in, in economics terms, it's the law of d diminishing marginal productivity. 
at the early stages of any industrial cycle, you have massive quantum leaps in successive iterations of product. In semiconductors, we're getting almost to the limits of material physics, right? In how much you can squeeze onto, an, how many billion transistors you can squeeze onto a nanometer of wafer. So the cost to just get that slight improvement in yield is so much higher. Hence, the next successive iteration of product has a marginal improvement on the previous product, costs a lot more, rendering the previous year's product um, still usable and not redundant, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, so I think this is a nice jumping point to the second point you want to talk about, which is the inventory management and how it's so important in this industry and managing the channels, yeah. right? Because inventory management is so critical. If you have a lot of your products from previous cycle, you, let's say you, for example, you forecasted that next year is going to be a boom year. And so you need to, you know, you want to meet the demand and you pump out a ton of your product, but then let's say something happens like coronavirus or whatever, and what have you, that sort of affects the demand. Now you have all these products sitting on the shelves without you know any customers wanting wanting to buy them, and so yeah. inventory management and, is so important. Yeah, and I think this and, is a and nice. Previously, if you had a lot of inventory, right? If you had a lot of inventory previously in the eighties and nineties, and up to about two thousand and fourteen fifteen, that inventory was redundant, obsolete the following quarter, right? So. That is no longer the case, which is a massive paradigm shift in the industry. Mm -hmm. This this uh, this leads us to an interesting point um, that we want to get to, which took place in 2018. So talk us through the sort of the cloud demand and what happened in 2018. Yeah. Okay, so we're now at around 2017 to 18, where we have three players which represent the global supply of DRAM and five players of NAND, Okay. Another big thing around that era or time frame was cloud, uh, cloud computing. So we had data centers and enterprises all vying to get into the cloud. Come 2017, there was this massive surge for everyone to have an online presence. DRAM and NAND prices started rising. As the large enterprise customers, such as... Um, you know, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Google, the data center players, as well as enterprises, the large companies who wanted to have a cloud off-premise um, off uh, computing infrastructure, as they saw the, the rising prices of memory, many of them double-ordered, okay? So the existing suppliers saw this massive surge in demand in 2017, um, that was basically preempted by many of these data center enterprise customers double ordering. Well, when 2018 came, they had already fulfilled their inventory for their um, 2018 because they'd purchased in 2017 and 2018. Suddenly, memory demand fell dramatically. Okay, so th this was this was an exceptionally sharp downturn in the industry. Okay, and if you if you go to um, the prices of DRAM and NAND over 2018 and 19, you will see they more than halved. Um, and and the key point here is all the things that I have said about the 
oligopoly supply characteristics are correct. What 2018 and 19 represented was not a change in the supply curve, but a change in the demand curve, where people pre-ordered, had inventory, and obviously the pulling forward of that demand led to, led to a fallow period in demand subsequently because they had their inventory to, to draw upon. As a result, in 2000, and starting from about mid to 18 to, to um, third quarter 2020, DRAM and NAN prices fell dramatically. Okay, so that's one thing where the demand curve had shifted due to the pulling forward of demand by a major vector within the, uh, the, the digital memory, which was the cloud customers and enterprises, the data centers and the enterprise uh, uh, corporates that needed a cloud presence. Okay, but what is key to remember is in every previous cycle, right, if you go back in Micron's history, and we'll add graphs about this um, to this podcast later, um, in previous cycles, when we went from a boom to a bust, Micron always went into losses, okay? The losses were either um, um, principally because they had to uh, impair or reduce the value of their inventory. What they thought they could sell for $3, they had to give away for 50 cents. And so if you look at Micron's history, the, a boom was always followed by a bust, and the bust would always lead them into red. They had profit loss, not uh, they had losses in the down cycles. Now the big change in, despite the dramatic shift in the demand curve in 2018 and 2019, Micron demonstrated the shedding of its cyclical stripes by remaining profitable throughout the downturn in the industry. And this was unprecedented. If you talk to veterans in the industry and people who are still skeptical of Micron, they will all talk about, oh, this company will go, you know, print money um, like, it's, like it's got a printing press in, in the boom year and then go dramatically into losses in the following year. Well, that has already been proved by Micron that during the, the entire downturn in 2018 and 19, Micron never registered any single quarter of an operating loss. They always stayed in um, profitable territory. So this is a dramatic change in the industry. That's a great summary. So Sonal, before we begin, can you tilt, tilt the camera? It looks like the camera is sliding. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm sliding. Oh, is that you? You're sliding? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. 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 Here we are. All right. Um, yeah. So that's a really good summary. So if I could just like quickly recap that for our audience here for a second. So um, sure. after 2017, I am smoking. It's a classic subtle. Yeah, subtle classic. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the floral signature look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, so 2018, sort of a uh, really interesting year, followed by 2019. 2018, uh, you have this, you know, craze across enterprises to go to cloud, right? AWS is coming on very strong, and everyone's has to think about the cloud strategy. And everyone is now a tech company because without tech behind, you know, everyone is now a tech company because everything is sort of going digital. So you have to think about your digital infrastructures. And you can't just like yeah. continue to 
create your own data centers. It's just not very scalable. It's not cost effective. So everyone's yeah. have you know, everyone's having to think about cloud strategy, which leads to uh, you know which leads to huge demand in um, you know creating a, a, a huge demand in memory in memory. And so you have this yeah. huge, huge fat year in 2018. And then after yeah. a huge fat year, you oftentimes have a drought year, which was, which is what exactly what happened in 2019. But to your point about what happened in 2019, which is sort of unprecedented um, to use your term, is that Micron um, throughout the drought year actually was able to sustain themselves in terms of positive, uh, passive, positive cash flow, uh, you know, without going into the negative. Um, which was yeah. which is sort of unprecedented in the industry. So again, fat year in 2018, hugely uh, you know demand hugely driven by the cloud, and then in 2019 um, they were able to um, they were they were able to sort of sustain themselves um, uh, throughout the drought year. Exactly, exactly. So um, you um, the other thing I need to add to this is. Because of that massive surge in demand by data centers and enterprise cloud um, companies, they represented a much larger portion of the pie of memory demand. Okay, uh, and uh, and as they went from um, a, a massive ordering time to a massive unordering time because they had inventory, the impact on the demand for DRAM and NAND was so pronounced because they were such a significant part of the market. Mm -hmm. No, actually, this this is actually a nice jumping point to uh, to talk about sort of diversification of their revenue stream. Uh, so really quickly, they have they exactly. have three business units. They have three business units, if I remember correctly. It's cloud and networking business unit. You have mobile business unit. And then lastly, you have embedded business unit. Um, so talk us through... Uh, subsequently, after what 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 it did, what the company yeah. did in terms of diversification they, of its they, revenue. Sure, sure. They call, I think they also have something called mobile business unit. Did you get that one? I did. So sorry. Let me let oh, me. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, there are four. There are four. There are four. Sorry. So let me correct yeah. myself. <laughs> there are four: cloud and networking business unit, CNBU, exactly. mobile yeah. business unit, yeah. MBU. There is embedded yeah. business unit. EBU yeah, and then there's is, SBU. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So embedded business is automotive kind of products and industrial products, and EBU is um, solid state drive. So the attached storage that you have to your laptop, like a solid state drive. So um, yeah. the first two are self-explanatory. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to just talk. Okay. So so now we've come through um, the fallow period. Okay. Kind of synthetically created by the pre-ordering of cloud customers. Um, so we now kind of reach a stable point uh, after which Micron has displayed their um, shedding of their cyclical historic nature by not posting a, a, a loss during the fallow period. Okay, we now come to like a stable environment and the resurgence or the re-emergence of economies globally post-COVID, right? There are two or three massive um, changes in the outlook for demand for digital memory, and I'll go through them. One, 
a 4G to a 5G phone. Even a basic mid-tier 4G phone compared to a 5G phone will use six times as much DRAM and NAN. That's a huge jump. Okay, so for every phone that was sold a year ago, if the same phone is sold now, you have six times as much DRAM and NAN within it because of all the data-intensive applications, the gaming, uh, the navigation, and the edge computing that is required on your smartphone. One. Two, you have full-service driving, right? This needs... Um, memory at the edge. You can't rely on the cloud to process, you know, your environment and the traffic signals and whatever. That memory has to be on-premise in your car. So each car, they estimate, in full-service driving level 5 will need up to, I mean, the, the figures are still not, you know, precise because we don't know how much memory will be needed to have a, a level 5 FSD car. But we're talking close to 300 gigabytes of DRAM at the edge of every car. Okay, and we've already seen the massive problems by the chip shortage in automotive, and that's not even in the FSD components. This is in the heating the car component, in the uh, um, uh, the speed of your windscreen wipers, which all use um, transistors to to control, right? And because because auto demand fell um, during COVID, they stopped producing, and then they stopped ordering, right? And it's, it's actually a very good example because GM, the big three or whatever, let's just stick to America. The big three in America, the car companies, command respect from every other component supplier. When GM speaks, you know, the auto component manufacturers jump, okay? Within digital memory, auto is just a fragment of the possible demand vectors that Micron faces. So GM and Ford can jump as much as they like, right? Micron's um, assembly line is already kitted out and fully scheduled for the next year, right? They can't, GM and Ford can't suddenly jump in and say, oh, by the way, we need, you know, 300,000 chips because Micron's order book is already fully um, full, is already full for the next year. And that's what you're having now in the automotive entire um, industry. But this does not include the um, seismic jump that will be required when full service driving becomes mainstream. The other big thing that's happening in, in, in um, computing is the use of graphic processor units or GPUs in data centers. So all the machine learning, all the artificial intelligence programs that, you know, if you're on some site looking at toys and you go back to Facebook and suddenly there are 15 um, banners of, you know, people sending you, showing you different uh, ads of toys that you might be interested in, all those algorithms that anticipate consumer purchasing power demand huge amounts of uh, digital memory because GPUs are used to both train the machine learning to improve the algorithms uh, within artificial intelligence and they're massive consumers of memory as as our games or game 
you know, video games, video games probably the wrong word, but virtual games in computers. So what we have is a proliferation of new devices which all use memory. I'm just going to slot this in now because we're going to talk about it later when you talk about why Micron is a classic, is becoming a classic Buffett kind of investment, right? This, this is a key point. Whether in the gaming wars, if it's NVIDIA's GPU or AMD's GPU that in, eventually become the market standard, it doesn't matter for digital memory because G, the NVIDIA chip, chip and the AMD chip both use the DRAM that Micron produces. So one of the big um, constraints to Buffett investing in technology was he said, I don't understand technology. What he was trying to say was, I can't see that this technology will prevail for 20 years because he didn't know whether the NVIDIA chip or the AMD chip would become the market standard. Well, for digital memory, it doesn't matter because both the AMD chip and the NVIDIA chip have as their, their digital DRAM substrate they both employ Micron product. That's a great. That's a great. How's take. that for a summary? <laughs> that's a great. Good take. Good take, Sonal. I do want to get into some of the details that you mentioned there. Like, I think we haven't talked about competition. We haven't talked about, uh, of course, like the second episode. Yeah. We'll talk about the valuation and things like that. But um, anyway, and then again, again, like in terms of competition, you have the Chinese threat that that they explicitly outline in their 10K. We exactly. should talk about that in the next episode. Yeah. But I thought this is this was great. Um, any any parting words before we close this one out and then start the next one? Yeah, my parting words are: make sure your damn laptop works and your camera works before you try a podcast with Beko, because that was an absolutely horrific start. <laughs> but I'm glad it ended well. Thank you, everybody. Hope it made some kind of coherent sense, and see you soon. All right, thanks, everybody. I'll talk to you. I'll see you guys on uh, the next episode. Thanks.